The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here's Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome, everybody, to The Second Stage. It's Brendan Anderson and Jeff Cadlick. Jeff, how you doing over there? I am doing great. It's another sunny day in Cleveland, Ohio, although it's about 60 degrees, which uh, they're calling this polar vortex again. I don't get it. Well, you know, we had the polar vortex in the in the wintertime, so we might as well leave it around for the summertime. But uh, <laughs> it is a beautiful day, Jeff, and we in Cleveland, I, I think I see four or five clouds out there, and they're very small. So what, what else can we uh, moan about? But uh, it's good. Um, Take it. You know, for the first time in a long time, Cleveland doesn't really have anything to moan about. We had a couple huge hits last week, probably added several billion dollars for the economic value to Northeast Ohio. You probably aren't even aware of what happened. I am aware. I mean, how do you miss it? I think, you know, I was tra- – as you know, Jeff, I do travel a little bit, and uh, it, it was everywhere. I mean, uh, obviously, the, the most obvious one being the Republican National Convention coming to Cleveland. I'm kidding, of course, but but uh, I mean that's pretty big. I mean they must really need those Ohio votes if they're if the Republican National Committee is coming here. Well, but, what uh, I don't understand is is like go to Columbus, where Franklin County, where Columbus is, is a toss up county. It, can, it goes either way. Cincinnati's always red. Cleveland, Cuyahoga County. Well, it's Cincinnati's Butler County, and then yeah. uh, uh, Cleveland's Cuyahoga County, which is deep, 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 deep blue. And yeah, so I don't it really may even know be purple. It may be purplish blue because it's so – yeah, exactly. And in but, fact, I, I looked in Cranes, Cleveland, and they said that the last Republican National Conventions, the only two actually, were in 1924 and 1936. So it's we're been in a while. We're in Cleveland yeah. or Ohio? Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's – that's when we mattered. <laughs> that's back. That's back when uh, Cleveland was a uh, was a uh, was a dominant force. But that's uh, that's good. That's good. I feel like we have anything else happened last week. Um, I heard there's some basketball. A couple basketball guys. I mean, was that guy Mark Miller came in town, so he's back. And then Mike he's Miller. not back. Mike Shooter. Miller is that Mike or Mark? I thought it's, it's some Mike Miller guy. Yeah, some a couple guys from Miami moved up. Uh, another guy, a couple of guys, right from Miami moved up. Did, was there anybody else that you can think yeah, of? Yeah, I can't. No, I can't remember. I can't yeah. remember. Actually, I have to admit, I'm going to be the first one. To admit, I was a hater. Yeah, and, I, I, I was a lover, then a hater, and then yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and I, I, I don't feel bad about being a hater, but I'm definitely a lover. I'm definitely buying yeah. now. Well, I, I, uh, I got to tell a story. I'm not very proud of, but um, I, well, I'm not sure I'm not proud of. It. It's just a fact. The uh, so a couple of the guys in my local EO group had uh, were getting some tickets. And so I was dragging my feet because that's what I do. And um, so the the Cavs rep called me while during our drive to uh, 
one of our portfolio companies, and I answered the phone, and uh, he just wanted to let me know that there were no more tickets available for me to buy. So uh, I'm like, I'm like, wow! I go, you called to let me know there was nothing I could buy just because I was dragging my feet. So I felt good about that. And then I asked him what it was like to be a salesman with no inventory. And uh, he said he's seen all the angles: salesman with lots of inventory, tough to sell, and a salesman that you know had no inventory. And he decided that the having no inventory was a better spot. So I didn't, uh, you know. That's, uh, I, so I took the cheaper route and I instantaneously called all of our business vendors and told them that I was making myself available for any Cavs tickets that they might have. Well, apparently I'm going to have to do the same because uh, we're all <laughs> we're all sold out. So anyhow, anywho, anywho. So obviously, our, we we uh, our our listeners know that we are advocates of Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, like to poke fun at it, but it is a great place to live. And do business and uh, having LeBron and uh, the Republican National Convention here is a good thing. That's good. Good stuff. Good so, stuff. And, jo- and Johnny Manziel, but that's he hasn't done anything yet. So no, he, no I'm, not, I'm not buying that one yet, uh, if okay, ever. But good. anyway, um, previous show, uh, we had our good friend Bo Burlingham on, uh, as a guest. And, and, and I can't uh, wait to his, for his new book. Uh, finish big or the big finish? Finish big. Finish big. Finish big. Finish big. Finish big. I'm excited and, to hear. You know, he is he is a journalist at heart. That he's very passionate about entrepreneurship, and you know he's made that conversion from someone that was uh, not necessarily an advocate. I'm not going to use different colors. Uh, uh, to describe where he was in the political spectrum, I'll just say he was not an advocate of the business world, nope. and um, but he has had a major conversion simply because I think he holds people that create jobs, uh, good-paying jobs for people in high regard. Uh, that's that's where I'm going to conclude with on Bo Brown. No, I think it's great, and I think what what's so neat about what he's trying to do, what he's been doing his whole life, what he's trying to do, either at Inc. Magazine or at um, uh, you know at the Small Giants, or um, there's a new new thing that they're getting involved with called the Tugboat Society. Is it really is about uh, building sustainable businesses, building businesses that can last longer than the entrepreneur, the management team, and that can continue to add value to the communities in which they serve. And it sounds, uh, you know, it's it sounds like that that's um, you know something that's that's not realistic or something that's not profit motivated. But the fact of the matter is, as we learned from Bo uh, a couple weeks ago, I've lost track. Is that you know the, the, one of the six core things is that you have to make money. It has to be profitable, and um, you know because that's how you sustain yourself. That's how you uh, invest in your people and your in in your uh, in, in your product and, and drive the business forward. So, although leadership, community, relationship, culture, and passion are all very, very important, as you and I talk about every week, Jeff, but uh, profit is also eventually a very, very important piece of the puzzle. Which which brings me into our topic for today, which is... No, entre- really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, cool. It's entrepreneurial and venture funding slash financing. Uh, and we have the perfect guy for... Uh, uh, as our guest, as we typically do, uh, simply because he's been on both sides of the fence. He has been an executive in a, in a venture business world, and he is now working for Silicon Valley Bank. His name is John Hosley. He's the managing director with Silicon Valley Bank, 
uh, in the technology Midwest uh, practice where he works closely with growing companies, angel investors, venture capitalists, and private equity to deliver innovative financing solutions. Prior to joining Silicon Valley Bank in 2011, John spent 10 years with Prism Capital, which is a Chicago-based private equity firm with $190 million under management. At Prism, John was a partner in the firm's venture capital and mezzanine funds and led its healthcare investment initiative. Previously, uh, John was the CFO of Legato Partners, which successfully restarted Brex and Spring Hill horticultural brands after their bankruptcy uh, of their parent company and co-founded Vincio Corporation provider of data management software. He is also on the executive committee of the Illinois Venture Capital Association and president of the IMSA Fund for the Advancement of Education. Uh, and uh, he's clearly a brilliant man because he also went to uh, Kellogg Graduate School of Management. And I understand people that go there are, are particularly intelligent. I just that's that's hey, what I heard. I tell you what, that's what I heard. I've yet to see it happen since you went there too. But <laughs> I'm sure they made some positive moves in their acceptance process because they are you know very highly uh, ranked. So, uh, well, I'm that, sure I'm that, sure John pulled the average up after they got rid of you. Probably. The, look, I'm not saying I'm setting the curve. I'm just saying I, I got in there and escaped. You were on the curve. You were on the curve. I was, yes, yes. Good. I was on one side of the curve. Um, so before I want to go much farther, I just want to remind everybody that we want people to participate uh, in our uh, topics and share their ideas and experiences. This is a community of entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. You can email us at the uh, second stage of evolutioncp.com uh, or you can comment or offer questions on our blog at uh, evolutioncp.com. Uh, I want to also thank our sponsors, Gladry LLP, they're a leading provider of insurance, tax, and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. I think this is going to be a really interesting topic, Brendan, because uh, as I had shared with John prior to uh, as we prepared for this show, is we have talked about on the second stage about how um, – there, there's been articles that have come out either in the Wall Street Journal or more recently in the uh, Brookings Institute uh, white paper, if you will, uh, dated May of 2014. There really talks about a decline in uh, um, in entrepreneurship in the United States. Of course, I have to highlight the fact that I wrote a, an article for I think it was uh, Smart Business Magazine about this same issue where I was really combining all the articles that I had written. And it says essentially uh, that according to the Brookings Institute report, American entrepreneurship is at its lowest point in 30 years and the decline has been declining since 2009, uh, which is kind of scary for guys like you and me that we participate in entrepreneurship every day see the benefits, spend a lot of time with small business owners and entrepreneurs and know what it can do, it's, it's kind of concerning. It was interesting, Jeff, I was thinking about, um, you know, obviously started my 
getting into business in 1995 and um, the barriers to entry then. And, and obviously, technology has a lot of positives to do when it comes to getting into uh, business for yourself. But as, as you know from the businesses we're investing in, techn- technology also raises the bar for, for entrepreneurs to get into certain businesses and so forth where, you know, not only do you have to have some of these basic uh you know, kind of infrastructure pieces that we never had to have back when, uh, but also in some of our businesses, the the government regulation and so forth is, you know, we have a, a neat business in Detroit and, you know, they now, uh, a little bit surprised to us, but have to register in every single state and every single state is different and every single state requires, you know, or, you know, if you really look at what we have spent to get, uh, to get, um, uh, registered in all these states, it's uh, I mean, it's a big, big number and an ongoing number. So it's uh, you know, you know, I wonder what whether John feels that that's uh, that's part of the problem. We'll uh, we'll definitely hit him up for it or get his opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Uh, um, and you know, I was just thinking about just as a brief aside, uh, you, you know, the disclosure. I know it's a little off topic, but the disclosure that the regulatory body is required today. I mean, they not only need financial statements on our the owners, but the personal financial statements of the shareholders of the corporate entities that own the business. And so it's you know it's it's all order, all order. Big stuff. So big stuff. It is big stuff. It is big stuff. So with that, we are going to ease into the first break here of the second stage. And when we come back, we'll be with our guest, John Hosley, the uh, managing director of uh, Silicon Valley Bank in the Midwest technology practice. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance Tax Consulting. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Inside Healthcare is the only radio program focused solely on the healthcare industry. We bring together new and experienced entrepreneurs and industry veterans from throughout the country who are changing the dynamic on how healthcare is delivered today. Join us as we ask the tough questions, explore current topics, and discuss the new partners and models in healthcare that successfully address the needs of population health across the country. Listen Mondays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You are tuned in to The Second Stage, 
To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson, like any forum, the show will be more effective and powerful if folks contribute their experiences and ideas. We invite you to continue the discussion from each week's show on our blog, which can be found at evolutioncp.com. And you can email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com. We want to hear from you because an effective small business owner is on a continual path of uh, learning. And that's what this show is all about. Uh, when we uh, eased into the first break, we were talking about our good friend John Hosley, the managing director with Silicon Valley Bank. And um, we want to welcome on on the show. Hello, John. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It is it is our pleasure. I, uh, you know, we we as as we were talking in the first segment of our show about. You know, entrepreneurship, according to the Brookings Institute and the Wall Street Journal and some other articles that that we've been seeing, uh, uh, you know, there there seems to be on a precipitous decline in those that are willing to participate in entrepreneurship. And fortunately for me, and making me feel better, you you've seen uh, some different trends in your your part of the world. Yes, definitely. I believe the story is a little bit more nuanced than just the headline figures might suggest. In our practice, we cover three three primary areas. The first is information technology. The second is life sciences, which you can really think of as medical devices and pharmaceutical and diagnostics. And the third is what we term energy resource innovation, which most people would uh, would think of as clean tech. And if you look at the statistics uh, on an aggregate basis for venture-backed and uh, for venture-backed entities, actually the first quarter of 2014 was the best quarter that we've seen since 2001. Believe it or not, uh, so it's been a long road for a lot of these businesses. But fundraising right now is very robust, and in the first quarter, uh, but for example, almost nine and a half billion dollars was raised by a thousand companies. And this just this doesn't even count the angel activity that's out there today. Uh, so those numbers seem pretty rosy on the face of them. However, when you peel back the onion a little bit, uh, what you would see is that the all the upsurge is basically within the information technology space. Uh, IT fundings over the past five years have essentially doubled as more and more money has piled in on the heels of huge successes such as the Facebook IPO, WhatsApp acquisition, etc. When you look at other industries, particularly those that are more capital intensive, uh, that is where that is where you begin to see a somewhat more disturbing picture. If I look at uh, medical device and pharma, for example, the fundings in those spaces have been essentially flat to down over the past three years. Many of the firms that used to fund innovative companies in those spaces are essentially defunct today because they have been unable to raise money from investors to in turn invest in companies. And finally, in the clean tech sector or energy resource innovation, 
fundings there have dropped by almost two-thirds over the last three years. It's been a precipitous decline uh, due to early losses in the segment. And uh, it, uh, in that case, it's hard to see a bottoming, and uh, we're not sure exactly when that segment's going to recover. We hope it'll be over the next few years because you know, some, of these, uh, some of these companies are truly innovative and are doing things that you know, could potentially you know, alter, alter the course of our energy usage over a very long period of time. Hey, John, you know, why it, did it, I'm just... Go ahead, Jeff. Good. No, I was just saying, I've always found the VC model interesting because historically, the, the really the only exit was the IPO. And that was really when the IPO market was dead, VC was really kind of in the trough. And when the IPOs were hot, you know, VC was, was going great guns. But then there was other options. I mean, you had these mega funds. You've got corporate entities now that are willing, that are sophisticated uh, investors and these sorts of things, and you, then you've got the Microsofts and Googles of the world that uh, have, you know, these war chests. And it seems to me that you know what they're buying is driving ultimately what gets funded in the VC world, and not necessarily, you know, the innovation. I mean, are you seeing the same thing, or or am I misreading that? Yeah, no, that is, uh, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that, uh, ultimately. If you look at, um, if you step back and sort of put yourself in, in the shoes of a venture capitalist, uh, your goal ultimately is to make as much money as, as, as you can for your investors while taking as little risk as possible. And when you see the, the Googles, the Apples, the Microsofts of the world with these enormous war chests actively buying up young companies uh, at a fairly early stage in their development, that's a very attractive exit mechanism. Uh, the reality is for a venture capitalist, in most cases, you would rather, you would ultimately rather that the portfolio company is sold to another company instead of going the IPO route. Uh, the reason being, when the company is sold, you get all your cash at that moment in time, and you don't take any further market risk, whereas in an IPO, it might be three years before you've realized all your proceeds on it. So it makes a lot of sense that uh, that the information technology segment has attracted tons of capital because it's uh, it's actually very easy to develop applications today. You can grow a company much more quickly than at any other point in time, and that means that they can return money to their ultimately to their investors, which enables them to raise more funds. So there's a virtuous loop going on right now in information technology. Uh, if you contrast that with, um, with what I'll call some areas where uh, the you know, the advances may be truly breathtaking, like developing new pharmaceuticals, you know, it takes a long time. Those companies, in many, many cases, are going to take you know ten plus years to build. Uh, you're spending, you know, you're typically you know, putting you know up to hundreds of millions of dollars into these companies, and you have a more binary risk to them. Uh, ultimately, you know, the drug may not work. It may die after a, a phase three clinical trial, in which case all that money is is effectively lost. And I think when you move over to uh, to clean technology as well, when you think of some of the really enormous projects trying to take biomass and convert it to fuel, for example, uh, you know, 
you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars up front on plant, et cetera, in the hopes that the market is still viable at the point you come to market and fossil fuel prices haven't dropped. It's a very risky proposition. And the huge capital outlays coupled with the risk have really taken a lot of the fundings out of the, um, out of the life sciences and clean tech industries over the past few years. Hey, John, just a kind of a surface question. You know, Jeff and I both came out of the banking world, and 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 obviously most banks don't look at sort of the the things that a Silicon Valley bank would look at. How's it been for Silicon Valley Bank operating? In, I mean, I assume in a traditional bank environment focused on this, uh, this these sorts of companies. I would assume the regulators are would would be the same regulators that are that are beating up the other banks. How does that work? Yeah, and I am uh, I, I'm fortunate in that uh, I don't personally have to deal with uh, with with kind of the regulatory aspects of our business uh, to a great deal, but it is um, I think the thing that uh, enables us to do what we do is the fact that we are highly specialized and have a track record of doing it over 30 years. And so as a result, we've got a long track record with the products that we utilize that are unique. And the regulators have seen through multiple cycles that we don't experience undue losses and that, uh, and that we really do understand, you know, which companies are likely to succeed versus which may, may not ultimately succeed. No, that's great. He maybe talk about. I know Jeff and I uh, spend a lot of time talking about how we look at the entrepreneur world, and and uh, I, I got to be honest, I'm I'm stunned that the number of business startups is down. I, I'm just curious your take. I mean, is that what are you seeing out there? Yeah, well, on the on the information technology side again, it, there has never been a better time to start a business. Like I look back to when I started my first company back in the year 2000, and it cost it basically cost you a million dollars to turn on the lights, get a phone system and a server farm going. Uh, today, you can do all of that and develop your first product for less than a half a million dollars. So it's a fantastic environment for someone to go out and and to start a company on that side. Uh, in contrast, um, in a lot of businesses, the costs have actually risen, and they've risen dramatically uh, since that period of time. If I look at the life sciences market, you've got the regulatory burden has increased substantially uh, since that point in time. And not only that, but it's gotten, once you finally clear the regulatory hurdles and get your product approved, you then have to get it reimbursed. And that can be a process that can take additional years, and you may not get the reimbursement levels you need to ultimately build a profitable business. So, I can I definitively understand why entrepreneurship in that in that segment has dropped. And mm-hmm. I think if we I think if we wanted to look at you know, the overall economy as well, when you think about um, when you think about uh, like just small traditional American manufacturing businesses, for example. A lot of the, you know, a lot of the ability to access capital and loans at the, you know, at the very early stage in the market is highly, you know, remains more constrained than it was pre-2009. And as a result, I think those, those barriers coupled with some increased regulation discourages people from pursuing an entrepreneurial path. 
It's amazing too. You know, I, one of the things that you, know, you go back 25 years, the word entrepreneur was wasn't necessarily a po- viewed in a positive light. And today, uh, you know, most of these colleges have you know kind of uh, majors that talk about entrepreneurship. So it's it's kind of crazy to think that the numbers are down, but you can't argue with them. And uh, and it's uh, it's a bummer. But uh, what all, what other things do you see from the from the from the venture funding world? I know you guys are in, you know kind of three specific uh, verticals, but are are you seeing that that's increasing, decreasing? Uh, yes, uh, the over the overall market is increasing uh, definitely at this point in time, and uh, we definitely you know again it is very focused on IT, uh, life sciences flat, and uh, clean tech is is down. Uh, but I think you know the story even goes a little bit beyond uh, just the traditional venture numbers that I quoted because these are for formal venture capital funds. There has been a blossoming of angel angel investment activity as well. And uh, it's a little-known fact, but there are almost as many companies angel-funded in the greater Midwest as there are in California, hmm. which is very, very counterintuitive, uh, I think, to, to most people that believe that entrepreneurship is somehow headquartered in California. It's actually become a, a, a very, very national phenomenon. We and, and I'll, I'll throw this to Jeff, but I, I literally we had a, a deal that we that we loved and, and we actually funded. And as we were uh, uh, talking to some people about expertise and so forth, uh, we were talking to some uh, East Coasters, and they literally asked the question, "Why is it based in the Midwest?" And it was like, you know, it's like, how do you answer that question? But uh, it was a stunner. I'm mean, like, do you want me to why, answer that? Is, is that a joke? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well. It, it, Apparently, all the talent pool is up around uh, Sand Hill, and, and that's it. But uh, anyway, uh, we are going to take a, a brief break here and continue uh, when we get back talking about entrepreneur, entrepreneurial and venture funding with our friend John Hosley, Managing Director with Silicon Valley Bank. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. This week, my guest is outspoken former congressman and one of our country's most prominent gay public figures, Mr. Barney Frank. He'll be with us to talk about the Supreme Court's ruling on DOMA and how the Obama presidency is doing in its second term. Don't miss Barney Frank this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, 
Call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to the second stage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is our show, but it is a forum, so we're looking for input from you so you can benefit from everyone's experience. We are back here with our guest, John Hosley, Managing Director uh, with Silicon Valley Bank. And uh, we were (laughs) finishing off the last show where I made some uh, subtle comment about the concentration of talent in the venture world being uh, out in uh, on Sand Hill uh, Road, which is a famous road uh, down in uh, San Jose, uh, kind of south uh, east of uh, uh, San Francisco. That's uh, really been the epic center of venture capital for the past you know thirty plus years. Uh, but John, you, you have uh, some a different opinion of that. Uh, is that correct? Yes, and I, I think I mean ultimately, I think the Center for Venture Capital Funds will will likely remain there. But I think as far as entrepreneurship goes and the creation of companies, uh, I believe that that is actually going to become much more widely distributed across the U.S. as time goes on. And if I look specifically at the Midwest today, I think we're in sort of the third inning of a a nine-inning game. Uh, I actually believe that there are structural advantages that the Midwest has that will enable it to grow faster in certain segments than the West Coast. Uh, If I take, for example... Uh, software, you know, software for business-to-business applications. The reality of that is today, and those companies are selling to Fortune 500 and, and smaller companies, but predominantly they're going to be selling to you know, industrial and services businesses. The reality is that the, those customers aren't headquartered in Silicon Valley. They're all right here in the Midwest. Uh, if you look at the concentration of you know, Fortune 500 companies, this is where they're at. So if you're an entrepreneur, your customers are here. Uh, you don't need as much capital as you used to, and you can access it from multiple sources. You don't need to be close to your venture capitalist anymore. And the engineers that you need to really grow the company, which are in, in scarce supply, actually you've got a much better feeder system for them because of the, the universities here in the Midwest. And top all that off with, you'll have to pay those engineers only about half of what you would have to in the Valley. And you've got some pretty powerful ingredients that would argue that the Midwest is going to see a big surge in activity and it's going to sustain over the next decade or two. John, you mentioned that the, uh, that the um, I don't remember if this is on air or off air, but the, how the, uh, the, the Midwest angels have, have backed a, a very large number of companies or angels. How have those performed or is, that, is it too early to tell? It, uh, it is truly hard to tell because so many of these deals are underneath the radar and you don't really have visibility into them. However, there are I do have anecdotal evidence that some of these deals go go quite well. Uh, we have seen you know, we've seen across the Midwest uh, greater fundraising numbers than we've ever seen before on the venture side. And if you think about it, all those companies probably started with angel funding. And that end, it would indicate that the uh, that the angels are definitely making bets that are are paying off and that are fundable from institutional sources. Subsequently, the second thing is the surge in the number of active angels is uh, is indicative that somebody 
somebody had to make money somewhere to entice more people to pile in. In the you know, in the angel investing segment, a lot of times what will happen is an individual will have money in a company. That company sells for a nice multiple. That person takes home a big return on their invested dollars, and naturally they kind of tell their friends about it. And as they tell their friends about it, some of those friends decide that they want to get into the angel business as well, and often they'll band together and do transactions together. So I don't think you'd have this surge in angel activity if there wasn't also a corresponding a corresponding surge in returns over time. Could I ask uh, just uh, you, you, some potential thoughts behind that? Because you know what I feel like I see is we've talked to more and more venture people uh, or companies that are looking for venture financing historically defined that venture firms seem to be moving up market and kind of away from pre-revenue uh, and um, you know pre-earnings. They're looking for a little bit more sure bets, if you will. Uh, and and so that is the fact that they're moving, you know, away from that that profile, creating angel investors, uh, you know, because they're they're not being crowded out by institutional investors anymore. Or is another possibility, because we see this on the private equity side, that you know people are feeling wealthy because this rise in the in the public equity market, and they've got this uh, irrational exuberance, if you will, using Alan Greenspan's term from whatever it was, 1996, uh, as a potential driver. Or again, like you're suggesting, it was a big win. Yeah, well, I think one of the key drivers to that particular trend where traditional venture funds aren't really doing a whole lot of pure seed activity is the increased capital efficiency of businesses. So it goes back to the fact that you can you can get all the way to a product today and, and oftentimes to a couple of customers for less than a million dollars. If you wanted to backtrack in time to the, the great dot-com uh, burst, at that point in time, to create a company that was scalable, it literally cost you know, millions of dollars in infrastructure. And so if you were putting together a small angel round, that angel round had no hope of ultimately getting you all the way to the promised land. So VCs, almost of necessity, had to take earlier stage risk at that point in time. And uh, as a VC, you know, I always thought of risk as, as kind of delineating along three vectors. Uh, the first is product risk. Uh, which is, does the product work? The second is market risk, i.e., will people buy it? And the third is execution risk, which is, can the management team deliver? And today, there's almost no reason, at least in the information technology space, for a venture capitalist to really take product risk, uh, not for a traditional software application. Most of the times, the prototype can be built out with just an angel round of financing. Uh, so the VCs, most often will enter the company at the point where they, they're taking market risk or where they're taking execution risk. And, uh, it, and the angels have really stepped in to fill in kind of the product risk part of the, uh, part of the chain there. 
it's it's pretty neat. I hadn't put it, hadn't thought of it that way, but it's it's kind of interesting if you just look at evolution's kind of deal flow. The way we look at things is, we've seen many more. I'll use the word software deals uh, than we ever have. But the software is up and running. It's generating revenue. It's quite frankly a lot of them are generating profit. You know where where the the entrepreneurs figured out a way to find customers that have you know that'll that'll pay them a, a decent number to continue to develop it. So that's that's interesting. I uh, uh, maybe get into a, a little bit more about how. Silicon Valley Bank can support entrepreneurs and startup sector, and as I mentioned earlier, the the concept of a bank in this space is uh, is is quite unique. Yeah, the the ways that we really differentiate from a traditional commercial bank are are as follows. The biggest one really is the fact that we are deeply specialized in the verticals that we serve, and as a result, we really understand the businesses, and we also know the ecosystems that support these young companies. And a lot of the time, we will spend time with a company that literally is just at a, a business plan stage and, and may or may not be a customer, frankly. But we work with the entrepreneur. Uh, we will take a look at the plan. We will give them fundraising advice. Uh, and we will also make introductions if we believe that, uh, if, if we believe that the company is at the appropriate stage to angel, potential angel investors or to venture capitalists, which is a, a huge a huge value add to the entrepreneurs. As the company grows and is in a position where it can support debt, we've also tailored a number of products geared toward relatively young companies uh, so that we are oftentimes the first bank that would consider extending credit to them. And the uh, final piece of the puzzle is it, it would be great if all of uh, all the clients that we worked with, you know, their businesses just went up and to the right, and they never experienced any setbacks. Uh, the reality is, businesses, you know, businesses, particularly in the segments we serve, have bumps in the road. There's always unexpected developments when you're trying to carve out something new, and uh, as a, because we understand how these how these businesses operate. Uh, ultimately, we tend to be far more patient and understanding and work to develop a solution when those inevitable bumps in the road come than a conventional bank where they probably have only seen a couple companies of this type and, frankly, will sometimes hit the panic button. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, no, no banks pulled the panic button on, uh, in, the last, uh, in the last downturn. Or, or so last wait a minute. Let, <laughs> let me get this straight, John. You guys actually lend money to companies when they need it? No. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> that is unheard of. No way. We uh, we we do definitely take uh, yeah we do definitely have yeah, again we do stretch out and try to work with people at, at probably an earlier stage with some tailored products uh, than than most uh, most conventional people do. I mean we are we are regulated and we do have to be prudent uh, so that uh, that part of being a bank uh, remains the same. <laughs> So, what but are you only doing venture-backed companies, or just that was my direct? question? Oh, I'm sorry. We, you know, yeah, great minds think alike. Yeah, no, it's a great question, and, and the answer is we do both. Yeah, so it's uh, you know having venture funding is great. A lot of our clients are venture-backed, but we have plenty, plenty of clients, and it's it's a profile. It's very common here in the Midwest where entrepreneurs have used just a little bit of friends and family money, or have, have bootstrapped their company. 
You know, it's really interesting, John, because, you know, a lot of individuals complain to us that uh, banks aren't lending to them uh, except on an unsecured basis uh, because the assets that they've they've got. And now you're telling us that you're underwriting businesses who, uh, you know, they may not be taking product risks, as you suggest, but there could be execution risk or market risk. Uh, but you guys, as a bank, are underwriting those those type of situations. Uh, maybe it, to, maybe maybe ask what specifically, uh, in addition to the three verticals, what else they're looking for? Because that's yeah, yeah, and and there are you know there there are definitely you know limitations to you know what we what we can do as a regulated entity versus you know what ultimately should be equity. But I, I can give you an example of, uh, of of a couple of innovative products that we we have to serve earlier stage companies and. You know, when it comes to the life sciences practice, uh, actually a, a substantial piece of our portfolio is, is pre-revenue companies that we've lent money to. Uh, in the case, in that case, where it's a pre-revenue company, uh, for example, the product that we use is, is venture debt. And venture debt is, uh, is a very, you know, it's a loan made to a company that, again, may or may, may or may not have revenue. But it does have to have uh, venture backing in order to qualify for that product. And typically, you know, the company will have had to have raised a round of $3 million or, or greater in order to qualify for that. And we, you know, ultimately, the reason that we're able to provide that product in a regulated environment is because we're looking not only at the company and the management team, both of which we have to love, but also at the, at the syndicate that is funding the business and our belief or the, of the likelihood that they would, in an adverse scenario, step in and, and write another check to keep the business going. Um, another example, and this would be more applicable to, say, a bootstrapped situation, would be we've developed a product, um, uh, a, a very specialized line of credit. And what you'll find with a lot of young companies is they'll go out and they'll win that huge marquee customer, and uh, then they believe that they're ready for a bank and they have receivables from this customer. They'll go to a conventional bank and they'll be told, oh, you have really heavy customer concentration. Sorry, but you don't qualify for this. We look at that and we have developed a specialized product around it where we actually lend against the against the specific invoice. And that enables the company to borrow money at concentrations you know, far greater than any other bank would lend it. And um, and also typically on a, a non-covenanted basis, so it provides a lot of flexibility to the company as well. So, are you telling me that you guys are being innovative over there at Silicon Valley Bank? <laughs> we, we do our best. I, I tell <laughs> and, you, you know, and John's you, actually located in Chicago. I mean, this is—it's not yeah. like he's. Uh, You're you know, not on Sand Hill. <laughs> I no, I am. I am not, and uh, you know, I. I guess I kind of speak from the heart on this because uh, when I was at Prism Capital, I banked seven of my companies with SVB, so I knew the bank pretty well before I came over here. Well, I am obviously poking fun only because I'm a jaded uh, industry <laughs> person, and uh, you know I think what you guys are doing over there is terrific and very, very needed to get these small entrepreneurial 
uh, and innovative businesses uh, going. Unfortunately, we've run out of time here, John. Uh, we kind of got caught up in the great uh, banter back and forth, but we'll have to have you back out on the show. I want to thank you uh, for being on our show and thanks Silicon Valley Bank for, for doing some pretty terrific and interesting things. Well, thank, thanks very much, Jeff and Brendan, and uh, really enjoyed it and happy to come back anytime you need me. That's you great. So We'll be back again. Uh, uh, we're going to pause again, I should say, here for a short break, and we'll be back to uh, share some concluding thoughts about today's topic. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. When money and tech come together, it can make for a harmonious or detrimental relationship. On Media and Your Money, host Jason Steele will show you how streaming media can work for you to help you accomplish your financial goals, both short-term and long-term. Do you have a plan for investment opportunities? How is college planning going for your kids? Is your retirement strategy working for you? Listen for Media and Your Money, Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Business. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson. We really appreciate you tuning in to The Second Stage, a show about small business best practices. Our topic today was entrepreneurial and venture funding with our guest, John Hosley, Managing Director of Silicon Valley Bank. And yes, he is out of Chicago, Illinois, which happens to be in the Midwest. Uh, I tell you, that was really interesting uh, discussion, and he had a lot of great data to support what he was saying. Yeah, it's wild, Jeff. I remember when, you know, in my memory of when Silicon Valley uh, Bank kind of got going, and I'm sure I was late uh, to, to fully understanding what they were doing, but I think it was um, it was probably 91, 92 or so, and one of the uh, guys I was working with uh, at the Hong Kong Bank, HSBC, uh, left HSBC to join Silicon Valley Bank, and I remember like – 
hearing that they were going to do this sort of thing, and I'm like, that won't last long. You know, God, that you know, in the banking environment, right. they're going to get annihilated. And obviously, they 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 really must know their stuff because uh, to operate in a bank environment and be able to do those sorts of things is is uh, is tough. You know, it's interesting though when you listen to them talk. Um, obviously, they've 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 really focused on the businesses that have. Good funding sources, good management teams, and in, in industries, and in three—you know—one of three industries that uh, that they understand very well. So, uh, you know, I'm sure that they've they've figured that out over, uh, you know, over the last whatever number of years. But that's impressive. Impressive. Well, you know, one what, what of the important things I thought he said, uh, or at least I think I thought I heard him say this, uh, was that they, you know, like a normal. You know, uh, commercial lender, they certainly can dissect financial statements and that sort of stuff, but they really understand the ecosystem. They really understand all the players, you know, who the, the smart money is, where the dollars are, what models are working, you know, what deals are getting funded. You know, he's talking about capital efficiency and he really understood. And, and maybe it's simply because he's been on both sides of the fence as a uh, as an entrepreneur, small business owner himself, but he really had a wonderful grasp of all aspects of of the uh, the continuum, if you will. No, he really did, and and again, I just you know to, just to beat this one to death, it's hard to believe that that's in a bank environment. So that's uh, that's incredible, and uh, to have him you know kind of looking at the Midwest as a major growth area, or you know where lots of great deals are getting done, that that's uh, that's really neat, and. You know, frankly, Jeff, I'm sitting here thinking as, as he's talking, and obviously, uh, you know, we see some in- some interesting opportunities in this space. That uh, it's good to know they're out there because uh, um, a great resource for us as well. So that's pretty neat stuff. Well, and the volume of deals that they see in this space, you know, they should be writing white papers, right? And maybe they are uh, about you know what they're seeing and uh, and even responding to the Brookings Institute. I mean, the Brookings Institute report came out in May, so I can't imagine they were collecting first quarter data, but clearly yeah. Silicon Valley Bank is because those were some of the facts that John cited to us. But he also said that it was in one of the sectors that was driving that. So, and in, in, you know, when we look and see, you know, that you know, in just a much a much wider area. But that's, uh, but no, I mean, it, it's it's interesting stuff. I uh, I like it. It's it's uh, impressive when people think a little bit outside the box. What can happen, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's you just don't see well, this anywhere else. Well, you know, and that's why I was poking fun. I mean, you know, you. <laughs> I had a lender stop by the other day, and and uh, you know, the, you know, they all admit that they're they're kind of you know, order takers. Really, there's nothing different that they're doing versus anybody else. It just there there isn't, and uh, it's been been very very frustrating. We've had success with select uh, institutions and select people within those institutions that really have credibility with their committees, if you will, their investment committees. And those people are special. (laughs) And you really, when you got them, you got to stay with them uh, because uh, the rest of it is, you know, pretty, pretty plain vanilla. But, you know, innovation uh, is great. And Silicon Valley Bank's certainly doing interesting things. Yeah, no, it's, and it's, you know, it's definitely a big money game. I mean, he's, you know, he wants you know them to have raised $3 million and so forth. So it's definitely a big money game, but, uh, you know, it's something that we don't see out there. And it's, uh, it's good things, good stuff. So uh, are are you gonna are you gonna do a little rapping for me here at the end of the segment? 
you know, I've as you know, I've I've been a little, I've been traveling too much, a little tired. I got I got I got nothing. You got any? You get once you give me your passion for possibility speech. How do you like that? When I got nothing, I just flip it around and throw it your way. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm just I have zero creativity. I'm just not that. You know, it's just not me. I gotta yeah. I gotta stick to who I am. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think my takeaway here is that. Um, you know that that there are that there are great opportunities throughout the country. You know, and, and obviously we at Evolution are chasing them all over the country. We see as many in the Midwest as we do on you know on the uh, on the East Coast and West Coast. It's actually interesting. We, as you know, Jeff, we put together a little presentation to you know we're out there kind of uh, talking about how fun three would look. And um, our number one state that we get deal flow from was California, and uh, number two was Ohio. So uh, and we obviously are based here. And third was Texas, fourth was Florida, and fifth was Illinois. Yeah, so kind of a good, good. Yeah, mix. I think I would. I think any a lot of people to guess. Certainly, everybody would have taken those five, and they would have been in their top ten. Um, but uh, but but look, um, I, I agree with you that uh, there, there's a lot going on out there. It's just sometimes not that obvious or easy to find, and you just gotta work at it every day. And and that's where uh, evolution separates itself from from the other groups. As passion for possibilities, Cadlick. Passion that's for possibilities. Right. That's exactly right. So we are going to sign off on this week's show on entrepreneurial and venture funding with our guest, John Hosley, Managing Director of Silicon Valley Bank. And appreciate you all listening in this week and have passion for possibilities. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Thank you for tuning in this week to the second stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 